This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Last week we talked about, uh, we were talking about the promised land and Joshua and the people looking into the promised land and seeing the promise and the God of promise and what it takes to, to, uh, to grab a hold of that promise. And the question was to us yes, or last week was, was, will we grab a hold of the promise that God has given to us? Today we're in Joshua chapter 5, and it's sort of part two of the message that we had last week. It's sort of part two, it's, it's, it's how they began to take over the promised land. And it's an enlightening uh, passage of Scripture, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And uh, really, the, the, venture, the adventure that God has brought us on, that, that He is uh, bringing us to, is not just to be partakers, but to be the ones that go into the land and conquer the land. And that's really, really super important for us to understand that God has purpose for us to move forward. Joshua, as he's standing on the, on the banks, as he's looking into the promised land, he's, he's challenged in his spirit. And you can imagine as God gives you something that's a tremendous challenge in your spirit, what do you do? The first thing you do is you think, how can I do this? What can I, what can I do? How can I raise the funds to do this? How can I fight this warfare? How can I overcome the evil that's working against me? How can I do all this? If we ask ourselves that that question, and we find ourselves here in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, where Joshua is now confronted. Uh, and so it says, it says there, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? First of all, before we go any further, that's pretty bold. Come on, right? I mean, there's a guy with a sword there. And the first, thing, the first instinct would be to cower back. But Joshua, Joshua actually comes to him as a challenge. This is not an inquiry to say, um, I just was wondering what side you were on. This is more of a declaration of which gang you're running with. Right? I mean, you know, that, when, you, when, you say, uh, when you ask somebody who you're running with, that, that's a challenge, right? So he walks up to this guy with a drawn sword because in Joshua's estimation, if you're not for us, if you're for our enemies, well, I'm going to kill you right now. Understand that's what's happening in that. It's not just like, hey, I just inquiring minds would like to know. That's not what's going on here. This is not the National Enquirer. This is Joshua going into battle. Are you for us or for our enemy? And the Lord says, of course, neither. What? What? Neither. Think about that. God sends you on a mission. Then He sends an angel to greet you. And you say, are you for me or are you against me? And He says, neither. What? As a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. And he asked him, what message does my Lord have for His servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites, 
No one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of the ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around seven, the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you, hear, when, you, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. This angelic visitation that happens at the beginning of this, you can tell it's completely off, off Joshua's radar. He's looking to how he's going to conquer this in the flesh. That's what you and I do sometimes when God gives us a promise, when God gives us a vision, or God gives us a direction. We immediately begin to see how can we do this in the flesh? How can we accomplish this? How am I going to do this? How many of you have ever asked yourself that question when you were faced and you were following the direction of God? How many of you have ever asked yourself, how in the world am I going to do this? Raise your hand if that's it. Yeah. It's almost unanimous. that Every one of us have been in a place. How in the world am I going to do this? We immediately, when the promise comes to us and it challenges us and it's a little deeper than what we think or it's a little harder than what we think, when we're being challenged like that, it's interesting that God always knows that we're going to respond in the flesh. He knows we're going to respond in the flesh. Now what happens if Joshua tries to fight Jericho in the flesh? Probably he'll lose, but even if he wins, that would set up a, a toxic way to go through achieving the promise of the promised land. It would be depending on your flesh. And sometimes that's what happens to us as Christians. We, we begin to do things and, and, and muster it up in our own strength, in our own flesh, and then we set a pattern in our life where we are fleshly bound, we are leaning upon the arms of the flesh, and we are no longer leaning upon the place of the Spirit. It's God that has brought you this far. It is God who has given you this land. It is God who has given you this promise. You have to, you have to depend upon God. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. This thing that God is leading you to, this is cause for you to kick off your shoes and recognize it for what it is. It is not a work of your flesh. It is not something that you are going to do. It doesn't depend upon you. It doesn't, all the pressure isn't on you. The pressure is on God. He is the promise maker. And He is the one who will fulfill the promise to us. Take off your shoes. It's a fine line sometimes between faith and presumption. Right? Presuming that God has given us something is, is different than believing that he, His promise that He has given us something. And so we find that Joshua is, is leaning upon the flesh and God immediately says to him what He said to many of His servants. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by My Spirit, saith the Lord. I want you fully and totally dependent upon the Spirit of the Lord. That's the only way you're going to make it work. God says, this isn't your battle. This is a holy jihad. This is a holy jihad that you are warring against the people of the promised land. And back in Genesis chapter 15, we learn that God was withholding judgment on the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and all the otherites. He was withholding judgment for 400 years. 
God knew that Israel was going to be in bondage for 400 years. And God was saying at the end of that 400 years, He promised that there would be deliverance and that they would go into the promised land and they would be the ones that work judgment against the people of the promised land. And God was going to use Israel to bring judgment on the Amorites and the Hittites and all the ites there. He's not asking us to tax our resources. He's asking us to trust our God. Joshua's strategic uh, uh, awareness that Jericho has to be the first to fall. He absolutely knows Jericho has to be the first to fall. He takes the tough, toughest city of all the cities. Jericho is, is a massive city. Thousands of warriors on the inside of the city. It's got an impenetrably uh, uh, buttressed up with two different walls. Do we have that second? Can we put that second uh, picture up there? There. That's a picture of what the walls look like. We know this from archaeological uh, digs that happened in the place of Jericho. Um, you see the outer wall. First, there's the embankment that's all stone that's there. It's slick embankment. It's almost impossible to go up. That's about 14 feet, 15 feet. Then the, se the second wall, the outer wall there, that, that wall is uh, another 15 feet above that. So if you're walking, if you were one of the Israelites that's walking around the city of Jericho, you would be looking up at a wall that is 30 feet high to you. And you'd be pretty intimidating if you're walking by faith. If you're walking by faith in that place and you see this 30-foot wall, and then if you look beyond it just a little bit, there's that space where all the poor of the city of Jericho lived in between the walls. Uh, they, they had uh, homes there and was a lot of poverty-ridden people there in that place. And then there's the inner wall, which would be 46 feet above where you are walking. So you are looking up at a 46-foot embankment. There's almost, it's almost impossible. That inner wall was so thick, that you, or the outer wall was so thick, that you could ride two chariots side by side. It was over eight feet thick. Two chariots side by side down that outer wall. To keep, it's an impenetrable fortress. It's, a, it's, it's, it's impossible. And, and sometimes God will bring you to the place where it's impossible. Right? God leads us to places where it's impossible. Now we know that on the other side of that wall is the promise, and we know on the other side of that is what God has promised that He would do. But listen, the question for us is not, is God on our side? The question is, are we on God's side? That's the issue. Are we on the Lord's side? The walls were so thick that two chariots could ride on them. They're buttressed by the internal walls. The internal walls also had buildings built into the sides of those. So those, act, those walls, those buildings act as flying buttresses, if you're familiar with that term in, uh, in arch, arch, um, architectural drawings and stuff. Those buttresses buttress the in, internal walls. So these giant walls, and then the gates, we're told, are barred, and they're completely barred because they don't want the people of, of uh, Israel to come into the place. We, we know from archaeological digs that they had all kinds of food. They found full jars of, of grain in the inside. When I'm talking about jars, I'm talking about almost 50-gallon drums full of grain on the inside. They had uh, at least a year's worth of grain. There was no way to starve them out. They couldn't have just hung out there until they starved. Because they had just, the time of the year was, it was they had just brought in the wheat harvest, and so they had plenty of bread. They could stay there for 
for months, maybe a year, and so there was no way for Israel to outlast them. It was completely impossible. There was a spring that came up in the middle of Jericho, so they had copious amounts of water that they could drink whenever they were thirsty. They could eat bread whenever they There was no starvation possible on the inside of Jericho. With the giant walls, there was no way to go through the walls. And he's like, God had brought Israel to the place of impossibility. It's interesting that uh, we, we read later on that after, that after they, they ran in, after they, you know the story that they marched around the city, after they went in, the walls had come down. After they went in there, they burned the city to the ground. That those jars of, of, uh, of grain that were found were found beneath the layer of ash that would have been right around 1400 BC. So there's archaeological evidence of, of the fall of, of, of Jericho. Some archaeologists would say even that the way that the rocks fell, you could see there's a hill between the top wall, the inner wall, and the outer wall. That the way the rocks fell from the top wall was what knocked down the outer wall. So there became basically a boulder field that they would that would knock down the wall entirely as soon as it began to give give way. We also know from archaeology that earthquakes were prevalent in the region at that time. So Israel has no idea how God is going to do this. They're saying we don't know how we're going to do this, and God says it's going to be simple. I want you to walk in little circles. And some general somewhere had to say, what a stupid plan to walk in little circles. It can't possibly be that easy. There are thousands of warriors on the inside. How in the world can we defeat those thousands of warriors by walking in simple little circles? All God had to do was do a miracle. Have you ever been there? Or you're just standing at the brink of impossibility and saying, God, all I need you to do is do a miracle for me. God had marched them all the way up to that. The beauty of Israel at this time, well, first of all, they're experts at walking in circles. They've been doing it for 40 years in the wilderness. They're experts at going no place. Right? What was God trying to teach them in those circles. Do you, know, do you know what God was trying to teach them as they lapped and circled and wandered and followed? What was God trying to teach them? The whole time, God was trying to teach them. See, God knows there's a miracle that's going to be needed in the future, but in order for you to, to, be, to really have that miracle happen in your life, you have to learn some important lessons. In the time that they are wandering the wilderness, they recognized that they needed to learn this. Obedience and unity. They could not grumble against each other. Ironically, that's what it says in the, the verse that we read in Philippians. It says, and all that, become like Jesus. You remember we read that in, during the communion time. Become like Jesus. Let your attitude be the same as Jesus. Humble yourself like Jesus. Take upon yourself the nature of a servant. Then the very next thing it says is, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Israel learned that lesson in the wilderness. They had to lap the mountain again because they were grumbling and complaining. They had to lap the mountain. That's, um, that's not to say that they weren't positive, but they were, it's, it means that they were not following obedience, following with radical obedience. What God asks of us is to follow with radical obedience. To follow things that are even 
foolish that God commands. The things that the world doesn't understand. Be obedient to God in the things that the world doesn't understand. Because the world doesn't understand your faith. And so, you're, you're living your life, as we talked about yesterday, for the audience of one. You're living your life for this one. And that's the only one that you need to seek pleasure from. That's the only one that you have to make happy. Live your life for His pleasure. And acknowledge that He, and he will ask you to do some, some squirrely things. Look at your neighbor and say, God will ask you to do some squirrely things. It's important. He will ask you to do some squirrely things. He will tell you to love the unlovely. He will tell you to give your last dollar away. He will tell you to walk with people that you have nothing in agreement with. He will tell you to pray when you haven't seen anything move when you're praying. He will tell you a lot of things that don't make sense to the world around us. There's a certain power when the people of God stay unified. That's what we see here. Joshua, I want you to get everybody... Some people say that this is a group of three million strong. First of all, kudos to Joshua for getting three million people to all decide to do anything at the same time. We can't even get people to come to church on time. Oh, he didn't say that. Yeah, he did. Three million people to line up. Follow the ark, which is following the people who are blowing the trumpets, right? Listen, this is my grand plan. You can almost imagine a planning meeting. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Listen, I want you to silently, three million people, silently walk. Don't talk amongst yourselves. Okay, maybe one day, three million people could silently walk. Maybe that's the first miracle. I don't know. Seems miraculous to me. Joshua says, walk silently and just listen. Listen for the trumpets. And the trumpets will blow and don't do anything. Jericho is about nine acres on the inside, so it probably took him about an hour, maybe two hours, to walk around the entirety of the thing. They were all done at the end of the first day. They all go back and eat lunch. You know there was somebody there that said, this seems like a dumb plan. <laughs> Second day. What are we doing today, Joshua? Second verse, same as the first. A little bit softer, a little bit worse. Silently they march around with the trumpets blowing. Now, I don't know what's happening in the inside of the wall. I can kind of imagine people all standing on the walls like, what are these people doing? This isn't like any attack we've ever been under in our, in, in, in our lives. Everybody was saying that. Everybody except Rahab, who was like, maybe it's going to happen today. I know what's going to happen, and maybe it's going to happen today. You could hear Rahab say over her shoulder to her family, hey, make sure that ribbon's tied around the window out there. And they marched around the city. Then they had lunch. Jesus tells us in Mark, 20, Mark 2, the kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. There has to be a unity. Ephesians 4 tells us that one of the main 
characteristics of a life that is worthy of the Lord is the ability to walk and to keep the unity of the Spirit. To fight for the unity of the people of God. Six days they march like that. Six days they are walking in obedience. Six days they are quiet. Six days they are marching around, marching around, and they're all buying into this. Listen, it's so impossible. We had better do what God says because there's no way to get it get into this. There's no way to overcome this. It's, we're, we're in a place of impossibility. How can we ever do it? Well, listen, now here's what I'm going to say. Shut up back there because I do not want to get killed because you're running your fat yapper back there. Right? So everybody just shut up and let's march. It's not hard. It's not a long walk. We're walking. We're walking. Quietly. I suspect there were some prayers going up to the Lord. Lord, are you sure Joshua knows what he's doing? Please, God, bless these little daily walks. Please, God, pull down the walls. Jesus said in John, 4, John 17 that, that He wanted His people to be one. He wanted His church to be one. That we might be in complete unity. That's what it says in the NIV. Completely unified. All agreeing that we're going to walk in obedience, radical obedience to the Lord. The power of the New Testament church was so strong that that when they came together, they were all came together. When the Holy Spirit came, they were all together in one accord. When, the, when they were meeting together in Acts chapter 4, they were all together in unity. When they, were, when they were trying to make ends meet, they were selling their houses to keep... They were trying to be a unified body. No wonder the Holy Spirit could operate in a body of Christ like that where they were, they were being radical to try to be unified. No wonder the apostles said, don't gossip. Don't backbite. Don't bite each other's heads off. Don't fight. Don't fuss. Just walk in obedience to the Lord. Joshua knew that everyone would have to be on the same page in order for them to take this city. He knew it was so impossible that they had to follow radically. Every warrior saw the impossibility. We often think that all the fear came into the lives of those that were on the inside of the walls, but every warrior is walking around looking at the walls, looking for a weak spot, looking for vulnerability, looking for some place as they're walking, looking to see, is there a place where we could exploit that weakness? Is there, is there some rocks that are crumbling? Is there some vulnerability? Is there something there? And at the end of six days of walking around, they said, that place is locked up tighter than a vault. It could easily come upon them the fear to say, this is so impossible. This makes impossible look possible. That's how impossible this is. But that's where they were. Now they are solid. They realize that with every walk, every day, they realize this is going to have to be a God thing. Has God ever taken you on that journey where you realize it's not what I'm going to do? It's not by the power of my prayers. It's not by 
It's not because I'm a giver. It's not because I live sacrificially. It's not because of the things I do. It's not because I'm so good. It's just going to have to be a God thing in order for me to get over. It's just going to have to be a God thing. I'm desperately at this place, Lord, where it's just going to have to be You. You're going to have to come through. You're going to have to show Yourself, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You're going to have to be the one that comes through. You're going to have to be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals me. You're going to have to be the one who gets glorified in this mess, Lord, because it's absolutely, totally impossible. It was the divine strategy of a prayer march. And the people of God followed the Lord's presence with the ark and listened to the trumpets of praise as they walked. Makes no logical sense. Some people have said, well, it was the rumbling of all those uh, people's feet that actually broke down the walls. That misses the point altogether. They had thousands of warriors, people standing on those walls, chariots riding back and forth on the walls, demonstrating they had been there for years and years. They were impenetrable. God just wants us to be unified and to walk in obedience to the Lord. Finally, on the seventh day, Joshua says, everybody get up early in the morning. Three million people with sleep boogers in their eyes rise up, climb up, stand in line, and begin to march. Today, today we will march around this thing seven times. Now, you know the end of the story, but they don't know. Lap five, they don't know two more laps, and then we go in. Lap six, they don't know. They don't know. Lap seven, as the trumpets are sounding, they have no idea what the issue is. Suddenly, the horns blow, and they hold the the note for a long time, and there's an earthquake that happens. Somehow, God shakes the earth, and the inner wall begins to crumble, and it rolls down the hill, killing people in between. Before the men and women of Israel had even gotten there, there were boulders that were rolling down the hill to knock down the outer wall, and they And what happened is they made a nice road, just paved a nice road in every place because Jericho was on a hill and so everything rolled down like this and there were roads that went right into the city of Jericho. What a mighty God we serve. And the soldiers and the warriors of Israel pulled out their swords and the Scripture says they ran up. They each ran straight up. They were completely surrounded with millions of people and they ran straight up and they went in there and they gave every single one the side of their sword. No mercy was accorded to anything, any person living or dead in that place. God did all this to make a statement. God did all this to make a statement to you and I. This is what I get out of this story in the Scripture. First of all, I'm very encouraged. You know, in the 50s, they said that Jericho wasn't taken by Israel. And then, in the following decades, they began to excavate more and more, and they found a whole other layer of Jericho underneath there. Burned completely. Confirmed what the Scripture says about Jericho. That confirms our faith about what happened to the city of Jericho. But, These are the things I get out of this. This life that we live is a holy mission. This is a holy mission. 
You're not just raising your kids, you're raising God's kids. You're not just working to make ends meet, you're working so the people that you work with can meet Jesus. You aren't working to live your life, you aren't living just so you can live, you're living so that the life of God can be manifest in you. New Testament tells us this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Everything about us has to be given over to the Lord. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to recognize that this is a holy mission. It's very easy on Monday for us to rise up and forget all about Sunday. But maybe tomorrow what you need to do is recognize that when you're going to the job that you hate, to earn less money than you're worth, so you can pay bills that you're not really crazy about paying, and eat food that's less than what you would want to eat. Maybe you need to realize that you should kick your boots off at the door and ask God, what do I need to be doing on this holy mission that you have called me to? Because it's about more than a paycheck. What am I supposed to be doing? Live your life as if you are on a holy jihad, a holy mission, a holy war to go out and dispatch warfare against the enemy. Remember that it's not about God being on your side. It's about you being on God's side. So the question isn't, Lord, would you bless what I want? But it's more, Lord, what do you want? Because I know that's where the blessing is. Reveal to me what the blessing is. I grow increasingly aware that the world around us has bulwarks of the enemy built up around it, walls. The Scripture tells us that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. I think there's walls built around these lives that they've isolated themselves. Think, think about it. We were talking with somebody yesterday about how in the old days people would have a specific cake. Usually a coffee cake. Maybe an Entenmann's. that was set aside in the kitchen. And that was for when people stopped by. And God help you if your mama caught you eating any of that cake because that was for when people stopped by. Right? And, and that was set aside for visitors. And they came by this week and you would go by them next week and you would spend time talking with each other and catching up with each other. But that's no more. We have our movies piped into our living room. Now we have our movies piped to our telephone. So I can be watching this movie, and you can be watching that movie, and the three of us can be sitting on the same couch watching three different movies. And if your movie bothers me, I can isolate myself further by putting in earphones. And I don't even know what's going on with, you, with your life, right? My wife was joking yesterday, and she said, now when somebody stops by, we don't go, oh, good company. We go, what do they want? <laughs> we become so isolated and it's very easy to find ourselves in that place where we're isolated. Those are the part of the bulwarks of the enemy. Busyness is a part of the bulwark of the enemy. Keeps you so busy that you can't, you know, you feel, if you feel like you're more busy than you've ever been in your life, you probably are. And that keeps you from being able to minister to your neighbor and talk to people who need Jesus desperately. And so we have to recognize that 
these, these are bulwarks that are in our culture. They're going to have to come down and we aren't going to be able to do it on our own. The Scripture tells us this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We had better learn as a people of God how to pray to pull down walls and strongholds that are holding people captive. Cultural walls, things that are holding people in those places. We had better learn to pray those things because this is not a mission that we can accomplish on our own. We have to accomplish this mission with divine power. Divine strongholds have to come down. Another thing I notice about this is that no matter how impossible it is, no matter how impossible it seems, Jericho is going to fall. No matter what it is that God has promised you that's so walled up and so held up, no matter what impossibility that God has put before you, it's going to fall. It's all going to fall down. Because we have a divine king who is a wall smasher. We have a king who is a wall smasher. If we will just be unified and walk in obedience, Jericho will fall. You say, well, what if we just had better warriors in the army of the Lord? Look around. Okay, this is probably not your top pick of people. Just taking a flyer there on that one. If you say, of all the people, of all, you know, we don't have, we don't have, we don't have the great mighty, but God wants to get glory out of the feeble and frailty of, of who we are. You don't think those people in Israel as they're marching around Jericho looking at the impossible wall and looking at what's-his-face behind them? Like, that dude can barely walk. How's he going to go in there and do warfare? But the issue for us is... No, no offense, Dave. Uh, mm. It doesn't make a difference how slick we are. It doesn't make a difference how well packaged we are. It doesn't make a difference what a great warrior we are because it takes divine power to pull down the walls. That's what we've got to have in our life. God's strength, God's power, God's purpose is there for us. Last week we heard about the promised land and getting ourselves to cross the border into the promised land. This this week we're hearing how to do it. You've got to depend totally upon God. Think about the cities that fall as they fall like houses of cards after that, after they go in. Why? Because they were all freaking out. If they could take Jericho, then we got nothing to we can't even stand against the people of Israel because their God is fighting for them. What will it be? What will it be like when the enemy shrieks with fear when you walk in because your Jericho has come down. Jericho is just the beginning. Jericho is just the beginning. The wall has to come down. Jericho is just the beginning. So are we learning obedience? Are we learning unity? Or are we doing our own thing? Because we can't have that if we're going to go against Jericho. Would you pray with me today?
for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.